Despite an electric melody, we're fine, thanks for asking, in our third round with Cream, but we'll soften the blow by going wolf hunting for reimagined fashion with the women behind the wheel. I'm Van Connor. And I'm Adam Ball, and this is Off Screen, your seven-day guide to everything movies. Boom. Hello and welcome back to the show then. Uh, so we've got loads of brand new movies to have a little natter about the uh, this afternoon, this evening or this morning, depending when you're listening to this podcast. Um, so, Van, we're going to start with something that I can only say is, uh, from what I've seen, is quite an emotional movie. I'm fine. Thanks for asking. Yeah, I'll be really honest. I, I honestly thought, based on its poster, because I'd, I'd seen it about the place, kind of like you have, you know, I'd kind of just seen the logo, seen the poster, and I just sort of yeah. assumed it was a feel-good kind of comedy or something, and uh, boy, I went into this expecting something very different to what I got. Okay, so <laughs> this is... <laughs> this is... This is, oh. um, this is directed by, uh, written by and stars uh, Kelly Carley. Uh, first-time feature uh, director here, has made some shorts, is quite an up-and-comer, uh, evidently. And uh, she stars as a young woman who is recently widowed. This is set in contemporary times. This is like, you know, sort of mid-pandemic. She's recently widowed. Um, she's now homeless as a result of, of you know, the, the destitution she's been left in. She's moved into a tent by the side of the road with her uh, eight-year-old daughter and has told her they're just going camping. Or while, or while she tries to sort of, you know... Uh, 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 you know, hustle and grind away to get them a, a new apartment to move into, you know, so that the kid just doesn't notice in the meanwhile. And over the course of one day, we watch her have to desperately scramble together through various gig economy type uh, type working roles, uh, braiding hair and things like that. But over the course of one sort of hot, sunny, clammy day in uh, in Los Angeles. I've, I've got a clip. We have a listen to this. Danny! Girl, your crazy ass still skating. What is up? Oh, man, you know, I can't call it. How you doing? I'm good, you know. It's just me and Wes now. It's too hot for hugging mama. Mm. That's a fair point. I got shorted today, and then that's why you see me going around doing post pals and everything, because I just need to get this apartment. Where are my wontons? I didn't see any wontons on your order. Maybe you dropped them while you were skating. I'm gonna be back at five o'clock, okay? And then can we sleep inside? <laughs> yes, of course we can sleep inside. She's kidding, because we always sleep inside. <laughs> See, as a father myself, that really tugs on my heartstrings, yeah. like just even reading the synopsis, because any parent would want to do exactly the same. Well, this is it. So, so the movie positions itself as a sort of halfway point between... Um, What's the the pursuit of happiness? Is it with Will Smith? The Will Smith and like young yes. Jaden. You remember that? Great one? movie. So there's an element of the pursuit of happiness going on. At the same time, something like a Sean Baker movie, like Tangerine or The Florida Project. Obviously not Red Rocket because that had an attempt at comedy. It was very ill-advised. Uh, but otherwise, a Sean Baker movie, and it sits sort of halfway between there. Only this plays with a slightly more mainstream sensibility than, for instance, a, a Sean Baker work. Uh, Dion Cole is in there as well in, in this really great little scene-stealing moment in which he just shows up to make you hate him in a way you only could if you were a man as genuinely lovable as Dion Cole. And uh, did you watch, do you watch Blackish? Do you watch Blackish with Anthony Anderson and Dion Cole? 
No, he's, no, I don't. I've never yeah, seen he's, it. He's incredible in this show. He's like a supporting character. He's absolutely incredible. I love Dion Cole, especially from Conan. Um, but the real star here is uh, Kelly Carley. Uh, both in front of and behind the camera, there is a lot going for this. There is a lot of talent on display here. And uh, I say, I wasn't aware of her until I started doing the reading for this movie. And uh, yeah, she is really on the rise and deservedly so based on this. Like I say, it has a sort of street level, you know, down on the ground sensibility to it, but it's not without its flourishes of. I don't want to say wonder because it's not fantastical in any way, but the sense of just being caught up in the everyday beauty of the mundane in, in, in this very strange way. These, you know, these are the same streets she walks every day kind of thing, but we sort of get swept up in the way that she roller skates and glides through a scene, takes us on this on almost like a dreamlike journey through it, but at the same time without ever becoming fantastical. I love that about it. I, I liked it a lot more than I liked, for instance, uh, Tangerine, the Sean Baker one that was a day on the street. Uh, that was for the, uh, the trans sex work. That was the movie uh, shot with iPhones. I think that one this looks oh i remember that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah i wasn't a fan you might remember i wasn't a fan at the time i think that was one of our <laughs> early early me going off on a rant reviews together but um yeah this i really liked and i would say if you are someone that liked the pursuit of happiness and you wanted something like that that just had a little bit more edge to it definitely go with this and it does go in directions you don't you don't quite expect but it does take an equal number of quite predictable turns and it does feel sometimes when it's not working it can feel a bit kind of like misery porn in the exact way that that uh, pursuit of happiness did i keep gonna say uh seven pounds every time i gotta say uh, pursuit of happiness because that's the other will smith uh weepy from around that period you remember because there was there was seven yeah, pounds yeah. happiness yeah and then the god-awful um collateral beauty which we should all be better off like forgetting ever existed that was a travesty what was anybody involved <laughs> thinking uh but no I, i'm fine thanks for asking i think he's an absolutely stellar debut for kelly Kelly. i think towering performance on camera but her work behind the camera as well really really impressive you should absolutely see this like i say if you were someone that liked uh pursuit of happiness and what like a, gri a, a grislier version of that like a harder edge version definitely seek this out but it's worth seeking out just to sort of uh, behold kelly Kelly this early in her career because i have a feeling she's going to be someone that goes somewhere really really quickly did they use this at all to to highlight the trials and tribulations of being somebody who is homeless or was it catered more towards the narrative of what they want to, to achieve to be honest it does it is focused more on the narrative this is not like a ken loach movie you know, I mean, this is not I, Daniel. Right, Blake. Yeah. Like, let's let's get into the systemics of this. This re this really is like a you've got a day, you've got until like the end of business to like secure this apartment. You're two hundred dollars short. Go and hustle. You know, uh, do the Uber Eats jobs and things like that. What do you call it? Uh, uh, oh, what's the the American version? Postmates. We don't have that one here yet. Uh, oh, right. Yeah, like she takes like a Postmates gig and things like that, um, which, to be honest with you, is becoming something of a trope in in recent movies. This is this is coming up a bit more in movies. The gig economy work because it's going to be a very big factor in a in a movie we're going to review in a few weeks' time together. That I'm really looking forward. That I saw about a month ago. I really enjoyed. I'm looking forward to talking with you about um, the sequel to Searching um, in a few weeks' time. But uh, this, again, sort of does have some exposure to, you know, the gig economy, etc. But it doesn't go too deep on it. And this is one of its messier traits 
I think in a way is it does it does pick up a few more ideas than it, it puts down completely you know, completely fulfilled and explored. The one thing that would put me off of watching this, if I'm quite open and honest about it, is is it the sort of film that as a father you would watch and end up with tears rolling down your face halfway through or at the end? I actually think you would. I, I do think you would, because this is one of those movies that you, you would describe as um, low-scale, high-stakes. You know what I mean? Like, this the, right. the story, this is a narrative that is affected. This one woman just wants to get a roof over her daughter's head by the end of the day. You know, it's, it's low-scale. It's not, you know, the world's going to blow up. Um, but it's high stakes because it's so character centric those stakes matter and, and relatable they, they are and they are relatable because you like you say as a parent there's something of a universality to it i thought it was great i really really enjoyed this it, it's a hard one to pitch because the best you can really do i think is just a you know the, the pursuit of happiness comparison but i do think worth seeking for a stellar debut it's i think it's bypassed the award season which is a bit of a shame but uh, definitely check this out it's it's called i'm fine thanks for asking it's on limited theatrical from today which means it's obviously in select cinema so definitely check out your your art houses your curzons uh, you know your everyman's etc well if i go to see this it sounds like i'll be having to take a good old pack of kleenex with me just in case to be safe um right we're going to be back in just a moment when we take a look at electric malady and also women behind the wheel so stay right where you are Hello and welcome back. So we are sticking with a couple of more new movies that are out today. Um, so <laughs> we're still kind of sticking with the emotional theme here. Um, also, <laughs> it looks as far as the synopsis that I've read for this electric malady. Now, uh, what's this yeah. all about? Well, this is about electrosensitivity. Uh, did you watch uh, Better Call Saul in the last few years? Well, whilst that's been quite yes. a, a buzzy thing, we've seen that. So you know, there's the, the Michael McKean character in that lives with, with all like the, the, the this house like insulated with tin foil, and he has a little the aluminium blanket and things like that, and it's all to protect him yeah. from radio waves. But obviously, now that is arguably the most prominent depiction of electrosensitivity in really all of, of broad popular culture. It's really the only developed one. Um, this aims to sort of on the back of that really provide awareness this is actually a real story of living with and dealing with that and it follows a young man in Sweden named William who has to live rather similarly to Michael McKean in, in Better Call Saul in complete electrical isolation can only have very basic a very basic lifestyle and very basic utilities in his home for instance as a result so he can have he, he, you know he loves music for instance but he can't go any further than vinyl for the actual technology to play on because he simply can't have the the the, 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 the signal in his house and it's it's the story of how he lives with this the toll that it takes on his family how they have had to deal with it you know for you know he was, he was uh, relatively unaffected by signals until a certain point in his life just kicked in one day and how how he has to deal with um society's view of this which is to treat it like it's not a real thing and uh, and also how he manages to sustain his relationships with his friends and even just having a life with the day-to-day -day realities of dealing with serious electrosensitivity. We've not got a clip for this, obviously, because it's largely in Swedish. You know, there is some English narration, yeah. but it's, it's largely in Swedish. And uh, it's fascinating. It's really fascinating, I have to say. Um, 
it, it, interestingly enough, it, it shot. I was just looking up on IMDb who the director was, and it doesn't tell me, which annoys me greatly because it's really well shot, and I wanted to point this out. Like the way this has been captured and realized and brought to screens, I think is incredible. I think it's really well done. There is an imagery to William and the sort of shroud that he keeps himself in, like an insulated shroud, that calls to mind the ghost story movie from a few years ago with uh, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, for instance, the, the iconography of that. And the way this is framed is there's something hauntingly beautiful about the image and yet at the same time you're watching this man effectively be absolutely ripped apart from society by this uh, basically debilitating condition. Because he can walk outside and be fine for a few minutes, for instance. You know, half an hour, an hour, so on. And, and then it starts to set, it starts to wear him down and it's it's like being, you know, it, it's depicted through him as like being pulled into the earth. What actually happens to him then if he if he kind of goes near? I don't know if he went. If he had a microwave. What, what what kind of what does it do to him? It seems it it just seems to cause him intense physical pain. Like I say, it is yeah, it, it is like an allergic reaction. It's like an extreme allergic reaction that seems to affect his entire body. And so wow. he, he literally lives he literally lives in in Faraday cage like reinforcements of his home. You know, with uh, you know, with, it goes out camping, but has to use special aluminium tents. Use you know, far away remote uh, remote places. Can't go down certain roads. Can't go in a car above a certain age, for instance, for comfort. It's it's an interesting insight into into the reality of this. Because like I say, I I saw medical saw. I mean, I knew of electrosensitivity, you know, prior to medical saw. But obviously, medical saw is you know, like I say, the mainstream pop culture depiction of electrosensitivity. And to actually get an insight into the practical reality of it and, and you know, the, the, the true horror and the, the, the toll that it takes because it's it's not something I can I can imagine. You know me, I love a gadget. I couldn't live without my tech <laughs> yeah. and my toys. Wow, this, you would this be was screwed. A, this was an actual horror movie to me. I'm not gonna lie. But, what would uh, you say, do without your iPhone gadgets? Exactly. You know me. You've never <laughs> seen me for more than five seconds without pushing a button. Uh, but like I say, it was. Uh, I thought it was a really well done documentary. A really, uh, a, a really haunting portrait of this man's life. And I would say, if if that description of it, if the description on the back, for instance, of other medical sword thing, is something that uh, appeals to you. Absolutely go and see. This is unlimited theatrical from today. It's called Electric Malady. Malady, not Melody, because everyone we all keep making this little <laughs> mix up. Electric Melody, Electric Melody. Let's call the whole thing off. So yes, Electric Melody in Select Cinemas from today. Well, on to the next movie, which sounds really good. Women Behind the Wheel, about two women on an epic journey. An epic journey indeed. Do you know what this made me think of? What's that uh, Ewan McGregor show where he and his buddy ride the bikes just around random parts of the world? Oh, uh, I remember. I've seen some of that as well. It was really good. Along the way or the ride back or some vague dad rock kind yeah. of title. You know the one I mean, though. Right, imagine Yeah, I that. loved his bike. Yeah, exactly. Didn't he do one on e-bikes? Anyway, this is neither here nor there. We, you and I will nerd out over bikes and stuff later. Okay, it's fine. I'm getting into my John Wick period, clearly. Um, right. Imagine, though, one of those Ewan McGregor type setups, but done as a movie aimed at specifically women in their mid-20s a couple of years post-uni. 
like very Brilliant. specifically, yeah, very specifically for that audience. And then on top of that, imagine that rather than simply just making a, a road trip touristy journey, there was also a point. So as these two university friends go on this road trip along the, I think it's the Pamir Highway uh, through Asia, around Tajikistan in Asia, uh, Tajikistan, border of Afghanistan, around that region in Asia, uh, they decide mm. to explore through the medium of social media and the women they meet through that, to explore the lives and the day-to-day -day struggles of the women of the cultures through whose, through whose regions they, they are actually going to be passing. So they stop off and do interviews, and it's sort of presented, like I say, like one of those Ewan McGregor travelogue kind of series. Someone's going to tell me that it's the long way round or long way home or something like that. It's going to come to me. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. This is Women Behind the Boots. It's all shot with, like, GoPros. Um, and, and GoPros, like dash-mounted GoPros and things like that. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, it's from Cat and Han. They, they go by Cat uh, and Han, I think they go by. And they are uh, Hannah Congdon and Catherine Haig. And they're um, they're an interesting pair. Like, they, um, they've, they've got screen presence, and you could see them doing this, like, they, they, they did this on the back of a successful short film. Like, they won an award for a successful short, went away and made this. And you can absolutely see why. They have got some insight. They have got, they've got insight to offer. And it is an interesting ride. It just feels a little bit, a little bit free flow at times. Like, right. A, a big, I'm not gonna, I mean, first of all, right, it was fascinating, okay? It was genuinely fascinating. I, I was never bored by it. I was never annoyed by it or anything like that. But there is this inescapable feeling of, you know when, you know when your your mates go on holiday, and they take loads of photos, and then they come home, yeah, and they and they make you sit there while they put them on your telly, and they airplay through them on. Yes, kind of feels like that. Kind of feels exactly like that. If I'm honest, like you know, What's those, a bit, those... a bit of TMI. No, no, I mean, don't get me wrong. They've, they've made a decent movie out of it, but there are times that you sit and think, like, I just don't feel like there's enough of a narrative to this, and you are just showing us your gap year trip. Like, you, right. you, you wanted to feel like there was a point to your gap year trip, which... I, and that's not the overriding thing. Like I say, the movie itself is, is interesting enough, and I'm never bored by it or irritated by this movie, but there was this inescapable feeling all the way through it. And... That irked me. But beyond that, I really enjoyed this. And I was along for the ride. And it, it it did take you very firmly off the beaten path. And did take you inside a lot of elements of, you know, uh, specifically... Well, actually, not even just the lives of the women, but also the lives of certain men in the region as well. Like, there, there was an insight there. And the, the, the two women themselves come away at one point from a small town in which there are no working opportunities for the men. But the women can actually go away and you know the, and go away and earn more than the men. So the men literally sit around and do nothing, and they start <laughs> out by being quite. They start out by being quite appalled at the behaviour of the men, thinking they're just lazy, and then very swiftly discover that there's simply no other option. I'm like, okay, we, we we kind of get that now. Context is for kings. Okay, cool. So there's there's a, an admirable element of mea culpa to it as well. I say I was I, I really enjoyed it. But I did have that niggling, you're making me watch your holiday video, aren't you? Feeling through it. But for the most part, I was like, pretty good. 
you know, I didn't overstay as well. It was only like 90 minutes long. I rather liked it. Sound, it does sound fascinating, if I'm honest. Um, but if you want to make your own mind up, you can. Women Behind the Wheel is out in selected cinemas from today. Right, it's the big one next, although I'm a bit upset because where's Sylvester Stallone? We're going to talk about Creed 3 in just a moment. Stay where you are. So we are back. Hello and welcome. We've got one new movie to talk about in this uh, this little section here. So Creed 3. Let me take you back to what I know, which is the end of Creed 2, when Rocky yeah. went travelling to Vancouver in order to make up with his estranged son, Robert Jr. Now, he's not in this one. Why? Well, this is, Stallone has kind of washed his hands of the Rocky series now. He did. He was quite upfront when Creed Two came out, like five, six years ago. Now, Stallone was quite upfront at the time about saying, "This is my last one. I'm done." And it's in the movie, like it's quite poignantly Rocky's exit. You know, and the movie. You know, if you think about what Creed Two was about. It was about closing off legacy. It was about, you know, mm. he was closing off the legacy of his father. Rocky bowing out at the same time made complete sense. And, you know, you, you look back at, at the original Rocky series, and you might remember that Rocky Three, which I think was 1983, uh, it, it kind of marks a turning point in, in the Rocky series. It marked the point at which Rocky became a cartoon. Uh, it, and now the strange thing then is to say that Creed three, which is now you know like thirty, it's always eighty two I think was for for uh, for, for, for Creed uh, for, for Rocky three eighty two because it's I think it's thirty one years later. So um, thirty one years later, you've got Creed three, which lifts strangely enough the actual concept of Rocky three, which is you know the uh, the, the angry, vicious, animalistic darker side of the main character comes along to challenge the now slightly more laid back unprepared champion yeah what you've got in this mix though is the idea that imagine like you say in that case it was clubber lang challenging rocky you know was, clubber lang was the young upstarts mr t came along challenged rocky who'd become a lazy champion here you have adonis who's become more of a businessman like champion and he's sort of gone into his retirement. He's just ready to sort of kick back, chill, and sort of take his check. Basically to be the producer, effectively. To take on the sort of producerly like mentor role in boxing. And which, you know, obviously is something we see a lot more now in our sort of contemporary boxers. Into this mix comes uh, Damien, played by Jonathan Majors, who's just going to be the villain in absolutely everything now. Because it's only been like, it feels like it's only been like two minutes since Ant-Man in which he was the villain. We skipped over his Amazon Prime release, but that was that was over Christmas as well, uh, Devotion. He's, he's getting around, is Jonathan Majors. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to complain. The guy is awesome. And he is absolutely shredded to murder in this movie, by the way. He's, he's, he's terrifying. There's, there's a shot of the dude shirtless at one point that had me just like, had me like recoiling in, in absolute fear of this man. Wow. He's, he's, clearly, he's clearly an actual psychopath because he could get himself in that shape. So I believe the man is actually scary and must be avoided at all costs. Uh, anyway, so he's the, uh, he's the old friend from Adonis Creed's past who has come out of prison 
uh, under mysterious circumstances that somehow involve Adonis in his youth. There is an, an unspoken guilt that exists between the two. There's some blame and guilt that's kind of unspoken lingering there under the surface. Adonis feels a little guilty for his now-paroled childhood friend. And uh, this, of course, Adonis Creed's uh, youth when he was growing up on the streets before he was adopted by the sort of uh, the, the mum figure. Uh, Creed's widow. Anyway, um, yeah. so he winds up being challenged by his former childhood friend. The, the, the rift between them widens and widens until, you know, childhood friends become mortal enemies. And like I say, it's Rocky Three, but now there's this Cape Fear-style revenge psycho-thriller element to it. So he takes on his biggest and baddest opponent yet, just happens to be his best mate. Have a listen. The higher you get, the harder it gets. That's life. So, how long have you known each other? We was like brothers. You gotta be in the moment right now. Let go of whatever was. And walk into what is. Don't let him destroy everything we've built. There is a worry with these kind of movies, I find, where, you know, the trilogy's done, it's out, it's, it's, it's done really well, and then suddenly they're like oh, let's just squeeze another one in and just make a plot and just make it work. And then they're, they're usually quite disappointing. I'm, I'm assuming from the way you've spoken about this, that isn't the case with this one. I, I mean, to be fair, if ever there was a series you could say that you could lay that complaint down at the feet of, it's probably going to be the Rocky series, isn't it? You know, and you literally <laughs> like six movies into that. I mean, the Rocky series is a favourite of mine forever, entirely because of the way in which there is no continuity to it unless it suits them. Like, I'm, I'm reasonably sure in one of those movies, Stallone was told, if you ever get hit in the head again, you're going to go blind. But then one movie later, they've kind of forgotten it. Then there's an entire one in which Rocky is brain damaged and barely able to function. And by the next movie, he's back and all he's suffering from is old age. It's mental. I, I love the Rocky series for its absolutely haphazard, you know, willingness to just play fast and loose uh, with continuity. This is a lot more meaningful. Uh, a series generally on a on on a, on a on a on a consistency level, there is a lot more thought put into the Creed, the Creed series as a franchise, and you do feel like a guiding uh, presence in that is Michael B. Jordan, in much the same way that Sloane was as hands on as he was with the Rocky series. Jordan appears to be with the Creed series, and that's why this marks his directorial debut as well. This is his feature directorial debut. It's also the first sports movie to ever be shot in IMAX. It's one of the first movies to ever be fully shot in IMAX, to be honest. Um, but the sports movie doing it, I got to see this in IMAX, and it looks absolutely terrific. Like, it's an incredible-looking movie. Um, as a director, Michael B. Jordan, who's made no small secret of this anime influence, that he, he keeps bringing up this anime influence it has in his work. And I thought it was just hyperbole until I actually saw the movie, and wow, it really does. Like, this goes full Dragon Ball Z at a point. Like, this goes full bloody anime on us. Like, it doesn't actually turn to animation, but it may as well. It descends into visual poetry in the middle of, you know, a Rocky spin-off's final fight kind of an idea. It, it's absolutely bonkers, but it works. It really works. It's got all the swagger, all the style that you come to expect of this series so far. 
it's got the funnies, it's got the heart. There's a lot, uh, a lot of uh, time dedicated to, for instance, the relationship between um, uh, Adonis Creed and his his daughter, who was born during the last movie. And if you might remember, there's a there's a recurring element in this series uh, about living with uh, hearing impairment. Uh, Tessa Thompson's character mm. is uh, hearing impaired. Their daughter. Who's, who's now actually a, a proper character in the series, but obviously they communicate entirely through sign language. And it's nice to see the way in which this is depicted and, and the role that it plays in the, the relationship between the father and the daughter, in the, in the family unit, in fact, as a whole. It was just really nicely done. I, I, and it's if one anyone's... of those things that... Go on. I was going to say, if anyone's listening to this now, they haven't seen Creed 1 and Creed 2, but what you've said yeah. has really made them think, oh, do you know, I'd like to give this a, a go. Is this the kind yeah. of movie you can dive into and understand without having had to see the other two? Yeah, actually, that to be honest, though, that is a, that's kind of a staple of the Creed series. I, don't, I mean, you didn't need to particularly see Rocky IV to true. watch Creed 2. The Creed movies all do work as standalone. In fact, all of the Rocky ones do. Because there's there's not a, a lot of no complex continuity. mythology. Yeah, there's not a lot of complex mythology there. No one's asking where Paulie's robot is in all this. No one's expecting you to know <laughs> about Paulie's robot. Like, which I I still think is a travesty. We had a Rocky Four follow up and nobody brought up Paulie's robot, which is just that's that's a crime oh, against cinema. That's a that sin. Is, that, uh, that really is. Um, <laughs> I will say though, it, it, it's really interesting uh, to to see the way in which Michael B. Jordan has really started to come into, especially the last few years, in which he's become this like you know in his prime adult leading man, and it's really interesting seeing him sort of step into the role of Carl Weathers' son. You know, it never ceases to be an interesting dream because he does kind of embody what made Carl Weathers so bloody cool in the 80s it's really strange to watch he kind of embodies it in a, in the exact same contemporary sense it's odd but he's fantastic in this role he, like you say he gets he gets the funnies he gets the the heartfelt beats he clearly very skilled as a director i'm really looking forward to seeing what he, he pulls out the bag next but i again would not be surprised to see this guy hit the awards trail with something he's actually behind the camera for down the way because he's he's got an eye he has definitely got some talent there. Um, I have got a quote from Sylvester Stallone, actually, um, when he was asked why he wasn't in Creed 3. Uh, cool. Not personally. He hasn't just texted me. I mean, I found it online. I was, was going to say, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know. I've got some showbiz friends, but not that showbiz. Um, so his <laughs> quote is... He says, what it was is Michael B. Jordan is telling a story, highly personal, so there's no room for me. I feel quite sad now. Well, I mean, to be fair, Rocky's story is done. This is now Creed's, you know, story. It's a good one. I will argue that it's a little repetitive if you know Rocky Three. I mean, it's kind of point for point at times, but mm. it's a very, very enjoyable movie. It is a, it, you know, it's a full-blown punch to the face of, uh, you know, a, an underdog sports movie. You know the formula, but you, you're there for the characters and for them going through those motions, and it's a good time. It looks and feels, you know, uh, like you know, like Showtime at the Showtime at the uh, at the uh, at, at, at the Apollo. Um, it looks, you know, it's, it's a night at the movies. It is as big a show as you can possibly get. It's br it's brilliant. It's brilliant fun. It's not particularly original, but it's good fun. So you know, go and see it it's in IMAX. I recommend it in IMAX. Go and see it now. 
I am sold. Um, right, we are back uh, with our final uh, block in just a moment. We're going to talk about fashion reimagined, which is basically all about somebody wanting to fashion a collection that's ethical and sustainable at every level. And we're also going to talk about projects wolf hunting as well. So two quite intriguing movies on the way. Stay there. Hello and welcome back, whether you're listening to us in the gym or in the car, or of course, Van, in the bath, we've got two <laughs> brand new movies to talk about. Um, so, Project... <laughs> oh, you're, you're, you're back, obsessed freak, you! <laughs> As I said last week, Van, it's where I listen to my podcast, so, you know, uh, some others uh, might copy. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to talk about... I, I solely... I solely, solely reserve them for, for the car and the shower, to be fair. Like, the only two places I listen to the podcast, if I'm being honest. So I, I do I listen to James O'Brien in the shower every morning. It's a, hot, it's, it's a weird tradition of mine. See, there you go. Shower, bath, same yeah. thing, tomato, tomato. Um, all right, so we're going to talk about Project Wolf Hunting in just a moment, which sounds like an epic movie. Um, oh. And I know Val is itching to talk to us about that in a minute. Um, but fashion reimagined, first of all, then. So explain what this is all about. I mean, I know it's about a fashion collection that is ethical and sustainable at every level. Right, so this is about uh, Amy Pony. Pony? Pony. Powney, P-O-W-N-E-Y, Powney, um, who is, uh, she's a fashion designer, who she, she went into fashion design um, as the daughter of, you know, having grown up, you know, under the parentage of two environmental activists, so she was always quite environmentally conscious, and once faced with the actual reality of the fashion industry, seeing how wasteful it is, how much actual, you know, how much actual harm to the planet the fashion industry itself solely causes, she elected to go and do something quite radical. She used the uh, the funds from a design award to fund this. She decided to create a line of completely ethical and sustainable clothing, setting out to make this carbon neutral, to make it completely sustainable. And she very quickly discovers that this may not be quite as easy as she thought. Otherwise, it might have been done before. So the idea is that we watch uh, her, and I think it's Chloe Marks, who she works with, uh, basically from the ground up have to build a fashion line where every single component of it can be ethically sourced, everything can be sustained, everything can be as as low a carbon footprint as possible. And that last point in particular proves to be quite the conundrum uh, at times. Like this is, it, some of the stuff is absolutely insane. You are gonna learn a lot about fashion, have a listen. We produce so many things. 100 billion items of clothing every year and three out of five of them end up in landfill within that first year of its life. More collections, more garments. Newness, 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 newness. I think at the sort of peak, I made 750 designs in a year. It's nonsense. It's complete nonsense. I mean, it's topical. It's exactly yeah. what everyone's talking about right now, right? It, it is actually the release timing for this was pretty was pretty well thought out. I thought, yeah, um, fascinating stuff. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of information imparted on you here in quite an accessible way that I think this will this is actually worth talking about. This is a documentary that I think has water cooler potential. This is one that. I think going theatrical, or even limited theatrical in this case, because the only real wide release this week is Creed 3, um, 
going limited theatrical with this, I think was a mistake. I think a streaming platform or TV would have genuinely made this a full-blown water cooler moment come Monday, come this exact Monday. And I think that's a shame because there's a lot of really compelling information here. I'll never look at denim the same way. After this documentary, I will say that. Why? Oh, you're going to tell me it's something like it's it's made out of the guts of dead bees or something. Honestly, just they they lay out like the journey it takes to make denim at one point. And you're just like, I can't believe that's bonkers. Like this is how how many thousand liters of water it takes and how many miles each pair has to be shipped and the, the, you know, the kilograms of carbon it's absolutely bonkers but uh, yeah so if you're uh, if you're someone that needs convincing um you know that that, uh, that there are ways around climate change this uh, this this, uh, this this might uh, interest you if however this is uh, a field in which you, you're already quite fascinated which you know, I, I low-key was you know i i was low-key you know interest i'm always interested in you know any kind of climate change science seeing something like this with its sort of real-world high street potential, this intrigued me. And although it's a little bit snotty at times, you know, it's one of those movies in which you know a, a pampered white woman goes to third-world countries and affects that very specific way of speaking English that Brits do only with foreign people. You know that one? Uh... Yeah, there's a little bit of that going on at times. But, you know, you don't let that get in the way of what's otherwise a really compelling and fascinating documentary. So it's called Fashion Reimagined. It's on limited theatrical from today. Um, I I advise checking it out. I think it's quite good, but I do think it's definitely going to find its home on streaming uh, and or telly. Well, you fascinated me because I'm now sat here thinking, how on earth is denim made? So uh... you're you're looking at your denim thinking, am I evil? Yeah, I am. I'm looking at it thinking, actually, how is it made? What does it go through? You know, so um, I'm all for watching something that teaches us and, and we leave having learned something. So, um, yeah, yeah, fashion and selected cinemas from today. Now, Project Wolf Hunting. This sounds like something crazy. This this is absolutely something crazy. So um, there is a giant container ship filled with convicts who are being extradited from one prison to another. Come this there. is Yeah, I know. So this is an eight I should this presents initially as an Asian language action movie. Okay, a Korean action movie. And, okay. Uh, Bunch of convicts on a container ship because every time they try to ship them some other way, they have a riot or they get out and violence ensues. Anyway, they settled on this container ship idea, <laughs> which wouldn't you know it? They get out and violence ensues. And they're all trapped. And they're all trapped. Right. So you've got the convicts, you know, with the violent prison uprising on this container ship. You've got, you know, what little remains of the security personnel on the floors above. And then in the basement, in the middle of all this, you have a mysterious bit of cargo. What appears to be an undead man with his eyes stapled shut, strapped to a medical gurney. Only he seems to be alive and super strong. And he very quickly gets out and goes on a rampage, forcing the convicts and the criminals to have to band together to survive this basically Frankenstein's monster of a convict. It's it's pretty bonkers, Adam. I'm not going to lie. 
It does sound good. So I'd imagine that you start off by being on the side of the the people who run and work with the ship and you're against the convicts. And then once this happens, you're then on the side of the convicts hoping that they can kill this monster. It it starts off more or less like a hard R-rated version of Con Air. Like it really does. It plays like Con Air to begin with. It's even got like a sympathetic convict that they introduce. Like he's, he's clearly going to be our lead one of these convicts you know he's he's the good one you know because there's always a good convict in these things you know, there's always the, the one token the good guy one that's that's gonna, of course. gonna protect us against all the other bad ones but there's only one good one who will protect us yeah anyway um so that was it follows the, the conair state but imagine conair then went and became overlord and there were Nazis, you know, the, the, it's Nazi zombies, <laughs> it's weirdness. Because I thought of Overlord quite a bit. This this played like Escape Plan meets Overlord at times. It's absolutely deranged. Some brilliant violence in there. Some absolutely terrific violence. Oh, some of them gore effects. Some great kills. Um, it, it goes it goes like full, you know, Kill Bill level art, arterial spray at times. Like, there are literal, wow. literal horizontal torrents of blood coming, you know, out of people across the room. Jet sprays at times in this. Um, good fun. Like, really good fun. I, I mean, I, I can spot the English language remake of this one coming. If, if I'm really honest, like, Frank Grillo has got to be getting himself in shape for the in- inevitable English language remake of this right off the bat. But uh, it's 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 a good time, this one. Nothing especially revelatory or, or, you know, reinventing the wheel or anything like that. And if you're a fan of Overlord, definitely check this out. It's not quite the raid either, so don't quite go in expecting that. But the action does come close at times to having some of the energy of the raid. So that's not for nothing. Like I said, this was a good one. I'd, I'd check this one, but not for anyone with a weak stomach. <laughs> Who doesn't love a movie that gives you surprises and shocks and, you know, goriness at the end or all the way through it by the sounds of it from what you've just said? A lot of, um, lot of, skulls, lot of, lot of detonated heads in this one. <laughs> Project Wolf Hunting in selected cinemas from today. So uh, that's all we've got time for this week. We are going to be back on Friday next week when we're going to be looking at Winnie the Pooh. Yeah, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. Uh, this is the horror movie they've made out of Winnie the Pooh. Because you know Winnie the Pooh's rights went into the public domain uh, on January 1st. Oh, actually, yeah. yes. Yeah, I forgot they, about that. Had this, they had this ready to go. Was it, was it January 1st last year or something like that? Uh, but the minute the rights were free and clear on Winnie the Pooh, they put this into production. The script was waiting. They just could not roll footage until the day the rights were clear. And then this was made. It is Winnie the Pooh as a straight-up horror movie. Apparently, it's awful. I can't wait. I've seen it Tuesday. I can't. Well, you know me. I, I hope it's absolutely spectacularly terrible because it's just what, they, just what it deserves to be. Um, you don't want this to be a masterpiece. Um, but we'll find out one way or another next week. Um, along with Champions, which is the new uh, Woody Harrelson sports movie. I've seen that on Monday night. Yeah. Uh, that's that's a heavy hitter for next week. Uh, Meet me in the bathroom. I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that one offhand. That is as a documentary, actually. Um, we've got the middleman action thriller next week, and these are the two heavy hitters for next week. And I'm not sure we're going to be able to review either of them. So, Scream Six is out next week. Yeah. Which there's only one screening of, and it's run by Paramount. Who I'll be honest, want me dead. Like if if they could. Yeah, if they, they don't could like murder, you, do they? Yeah, if they could murder me and make it look like an accident. 
I promise you they would. They wouldn't be able to tell you why. <laughs> like, it's been so long. It's been so long. They wouldn't be able to tell you why. But still, I think there's a standing orders. Um, so no, prob- probably no Scream 6. And definitely no 65. Because they're not pressuring 65 at all. And I was bloody well looking forward to that. That's Adam Driver versus Dinosaurs. Adam Driver as a space crash survivor against Dinosaurs. Oh, see, that sounds epic. I know. That's a shame. Oh. I'm just going to have to re-watch Jim Caviezel and Ron Perlman in the uh, Spaceman vs. Vikings slash monster movie Outlander from 2008 <laughs> instead. That's what it's going to be. I'm going to watch that. Yeah, that's not the same, though, because you know the ending, Van. Yeah, yeah, he, he becomes a re- weird alt-right guy on Person of Interest. Uh, you know. <laughs> well, there's, there's loads to talk about next week, and we'll, we'll sort of keep our fingers crossed to see if you do manage uh, Scream 6. But they are all to come um, next week. So this has been Off Screen. I've been Adam Ball. I've been Van Connor, and we shall return. <laughs>